You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. Created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon and welcome to Encyclopedia. Thank you very much to Freedom of Species and make sure to stay tuned to 3CR uh, for all your isolation requirements. We are broadcasting from all sorts of places uh, around Melbourne. Uh, personally, I'm in Preston in my house with my window open, so pardon the wind, uh, but I have to leave the window open because um, I've made friends with two pigeons and they like to come inside. So, important things. On Encyclopedia this afternoon, we are going to be uh, catching up with the COVID Policing uh, Coalition. So, covidpolicing.org.au is the website. Uh, They are a group providing oversight for the uh, unprecedented um, restrictions that we have going on now and the policing, which has been inconsistent at best. So we're, uh, we're going to be speaking a little bit about that later and also catching up with our maestro of vice, uh, Jared Bartle, uh, about a few topics, uh, drug markets, but also talking about uh, the incident about a year ago at Hares and Hyenas uh, and the inquest into um, the death of Tanya Day, uh, who was an Aboriginal woman who died in custody. Um, we're going to have a look, going to see if we can um, look into that issue a bit more as time goes. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, if you want to keep up to date with what's going on in the psychedelic community. Uh, the Australian Psychedelic Society are putting up uh, YouTube videos and also running some online sessions, including integration sessions. So find them on Facebook or visit their website, uh, psychedelicsociety.org.au. The Yarra Drug Health Forum uh, has a meeting on Monday the 4th of May. It's an online meeting, so sign up for that one. Head to the website, ydhf.org.au. And there's plenty of information to help you during these times uh, from a variety of organisations. Almost every organisation has put together some information relating to uh, the people that they work with. Uh, Harm Reduction Victoria has information for people who use drugs, hrvic.org.au, and you'll find the COVID-19 special page. Uh, and there's more information going up there regularly. Hey, it's Mr Savona. Just touched down and out of G5. You know I'm buzzing like a beehive. We still bump into that C5. Fendi Prince, pa many highs. Body good is so my madam. Fierce pretty me a problem. Everything from Paris, Milan, straight off the runway when I grab them. Platinum plaques in my office. Turned that million dollar office. I don't fuck with the middleman, low ranks. I'ma only meet with the bosses. Swimming or two swimming, I like beach. Girl, then want me game and I like teach. Ride the dick good when my man reach. Now your boyfriend want try peace. I, I see him so we do it. So we do it. Drive fast car. I'm inside like interior. Top drop down with the counts in the bar. Been trippy for a while. I stay dripping in the style. I push the beat and it's a murder. Nine 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 put down. Yeah boy, I do major things that will shock somebody. Cops and taser things. Jeep from eleven seed, some stranger things. Indian marriage, I'ma have to arrange the things like yo. She did it again, sit with the pen like oh, quick. Get in the bends and bring your friends, drive slow. I'm sipping the henny, I'm in the enzyme home. Send kids in the building, Caribbean war blow. You know how we all get down. When me in the club get down. You know how we all get down. Like whoa, the black Madonna. Black Panamera, get a beat and rip it up like a piranha. Ha. Black everything, black everything, black jets and black benzies. Ha, ha, ha. Big party girl, good evening. Tell me what's cooking down there in your kitchen. Fry plantain, fry dumpling. I know these African these what you're missing. Step up in the club like Big Bam Bam, where we like What's going up like 
that can spread from person to person. It can be dangerous, especially for our elders or people who are already unwell. We can all help stop the spread in our communities. Cover a cough with the inside of your elbow instead of your hand. Wash your hands with soap for at least 20 seconds after you cough or sneeze. Go to the toilet and before you make any food. Keep away from people who are sick, coughing or sneezing. Avoid going to places where there are lots of people. At this time, it is best to stay at home and away from other people as much as we can. If you're feeling unwell, have a fever, cough or sore throat, or worried about someone else, phone your doctor, clinic or medical service right away for advice. It is important to stay connected and strong as a community and keep our mob safe. Visit health.gov.au or your local health service for more information. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. Community radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR. 855 AM, 3CR digital and streaming and podcasting online at 3cr.org.au. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Miss something on the show? Events, articles, commentary, research and policy are all shared on Facebook and Twitter. Visit the Encyclopedia program page at 3cr.org.au and connect with us. And subscribe to our podcast. And Psychedelia live from uh, this desk that I've been at for now three weeks or something. Um, it's 3CR. Uh, 3CR is at 3cr.org.au and on 855am. And digital radio if you're uh, somebody that uh, has a digital radio. And right now across the Zoom panel from me I have uh, our maestro of vice, uh, also a, uh, a, a lecturer at RMIT University. Jared, welcome to the program. <laughs> Hi, great to be here. Isolation what? Isolation expert. Character, because it's been it's been going I'm I'm on on Jared's Twitter right now and just uh he's um well you're another person that's living uh alone, so you've got the double isolation thing going on. Um so uh, there's been a lot of um a lot of selfies. You've got a lot of different characters coming out here. You've shaved all your hair off. I'm um, looking wonderful. I have. Like the look. I've I've done the cliche, the isolation cliche of shaving all my hair off. But it's oh, it's it's I'm I'm loving it. Anyway, uh, Jared, welcome. Um, so uh, tell us about uh, your uh, for the past four weeks. How has work been going and everything? Uh, you are a lecturer at RMIT. Are you using technology to reach the uh, students now? 
It is, yeah. So we're doing we're doing online lectures and online tutorials, which are all a bit strange uh, because particularly with the tutorials, I'm, I'm not doing that thing with the students share their screens because did you see that horrible video that went around with that poor girl uh, was, was live streaming whilst she was paying to her fellow classmates? Uh, so I've, I've told my students, it was like, no need to share your video, just 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 audio, it's fine. Uh, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, heard, I've heard of a few Zoom bombs into some of the uh, meetings uh, around Melbourne with some fairly explicit material being dropped into the middle of, uh, you know, somebody's discussion on uh, policy around, you know, something specific. It's, uh, yeah, strange times in isolation. I don't know. I'm doing well. I'm doing fine. Uh, in some ways, it's better being all alone because I'm not having to worry about kids nagging me, I guess. Mm, yeah, that's um, you get you get the background kids in in the radio show now because that's that's just part of the fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's been a few uh, articles out. Uh, I saw that there was also um, there's a bit of research now um, about alcohol consumption going significantly up. Uh, not unexpected. It's this kind of thing that you see during the apocalypse. Um, but uh, have you have you been keeping up to date with the research uh, tips for people that might be finding themselves? So, yeah, so this is quite an unusual uh, space um, for both the alcohol and kind of illicit drug research field, which is the area that I, could, that I kind of focus on, um, because it's such an, an abnormal situation that we're all in. So from the, the alcohol space, uh, we, we do know that alcohol consumption's up um, and people are a bit more concerned about the, you know, the amount of alcohol that they're consuming currently. Um, the, the general advice that, we're, that is being put forward by public health officials is, you know, don't be too hard on yourself and kind of, you know, it's any time that you're under a period of stress, we know alcohol consumption goes up. That, that's not something to kind of beat yourself up about. Um, but I suppose red flags are the usual red flags that we would say for alcohol consumption, which is have other people expressed concern about your consumption? Um, are you not liking your behavior when you do get drunk? Are you finding yourself getting aggressive? Are you finding yourself getting depressed? Are you finding that it's affecting your mental health? Um, and, and also, is it, inhibiting your ability to go about your daily life. So if you're waking up with a, if you're drinking daily, um, drinking to excess daily to the point where, you know, you're hungover all the, the next day. Again, I'm fairly civil libertarian on people setting their own thresholds for risk. Um, but I would say that uh, we're definitely all, and I'm speaking personally about myself as well here, we're all potentially at risk to some extent with our habits at the moment. And we need to be just aware of whether or not we're moving more into that dependency type pattern of behavior as opposed to that indulgence type behavior. Uh, and there is sort of another element um, to alcohol and drug use uh, at a time during a, a global pandemic, especially uh, respiratory, uh, a respiratory virus. Um, other risks? Are there other risks for people who use drugs uh, relating to the coronavirus and to other respiratory diseases while we're at it? If your drug of choice um, inhibits respiratory function in some way that puts you at greater risk in terms of the coronavirus so obviously tobacco consumption is a big one um there's a big campaign at the moment of you know if you've considered quitting quit um vaping being a fairly new uh drug that we're still kind of understanding it, it's not unclear to us at the moment to what extent that's going to inhibit your respiratory function but i imagine it's you know probably as we always say with vaping less harmful than tobacco but still has its own risks um cannabis consumption as well um it's is something that has been flagged as an issue um and if you have any other ongoing health issue uh you're, you're at risk of coronavirus and we know the, the population that is people who use drugs uh, tend to have ongoing chronic health conditions at a slightly greater rate than the general population. And so that's something to, to be aware of. Um, something that I was going to actually ask you, Nick, um, is I'm finding it tricky to 
give harm reduction advice a bit in this situation, particularly because that that kind of standard bit of harm reduction advice that we give people who use drugs, which is never use alone, is is a bit tricky now because we, we say, you know, never use alone, but also having someone around at your house puts you at increased risk of, of this yeah. coronavirus. Um, and the, uh, I mean, it's been a bit it's been a bit of a debacle online as well because there is uh, one uh, group who have been uh, uh, really highlighting that issue in particular in North Richmond, where actually the police aren't policing the um, uh, the stage three restrictions. Uh, in the same way as everywhere else, everywhere else, because of the way that people who use the uh, medically supervised injecting room uh, interact and engage, um, so those people are still congregating around the Richmond area, and there's still people, you know, together and travelling into that area, uh, which has raised some concerns with people. But it is a tricky one because, as you say, we people shouldn't be using alone. The EMSA can't. Can and does if somebody overdoses uh it's gonna if, you know if you've got a uh, coronavirus and you've got uh, and you're overdosing you're gonna die of overdosing not the yeah you know it's like that's an instant instant death sort of thing but well not you know there, there, there's a process to it but um it's you need someone looking out for you yeah, there's sort of multiple risk factors. So yeah, it, it is it is hard. And we've been trying to think uh, through Harm Reduction Victoria. So the, the Harm Reduction Victoria website has a bit of information uh, for people that are on the pharmacotherapy program or people with um, uh, with prescriptions. Uh, so I think people can get their um, uh, they can get longer prescriptions at the moment. They can get repeats for for longer. But yeah, as you say, people will be alone. So. Um, we, I mean, we've been trying to do regular uh, catch-ups uh, for uh, you, just online catch-ups uh, for at, at, at work. Um, and I think that helps to connect with people. But the reality is as well, when you're using things like this, it's a bit awkward. Like, it's, it's, like this is, uh, social life is all through the, through the video camera on phones um, and you don't get to see anybody. Um, there's plenty of people. You've probably got people, you know, everybody's got people they know that um, just get anxiety about, being on camera or being on a microphone or having to make a phone call or anything like that so for those people yeah might already be um a little bit isolated it's, it's even more difficult so it's a hard one and I, i'm interested and i suppose this is me putting on more of like an academic research he had but i am interested to see what's going to happen in terms of drug con- consumption so uh, an article that i wrote um with professor nicole lee who i work with um in the conversation was dealing with um just generally talking about people who use drugs and the coronavirus um and because this is such an unusual situation i'm not too sure the impact of all of this on illicit drug markets. So I imagine we're going to have supply issues because of import-export restrictions. Um, Does that mean we move to local production in terms of illicit drugs? I don't know. Um, Does that mean we're going to have decreased demand in drugs is an interesting question because a lot of drugs are reliant on social interaction you know are people going to be taking caps of mdma by themselves with their other friends via zoom i'm sure some people are doing that but is that necessarily going to be the same experience that people are going to want to seek out um interesting times from that perspective of how is this going to impact illicit drug consumption uh, yeah, I've heard a few curious uh, anecdotes, and this is just just anecdotes, just stories I've heard along the grapevine, along uh, speaking with people that um, uh, some people have actually found some people who were struggling with a substance uh, dependency uh, issue have actually found that they the stress of the pandemic has made it easier for them to just stop because they just couldn't be stuffed with it. <laughs> so there seems to be. People have, are having such a diverse uh, range of reactions. Uh, everything from some people quite enjoy the um, isolation and, and uh, are making the most of it. And some people are very stressed and, and rightly so. Uh, people have lost jobs. People have, um, People's whole, whole lives have been turned upside down. So, yeah, huge range of interactions. Do you know, is there anybody in Australia looking at um, tracking uh, some of the, the market, um, like, trying to track what's going on with the black market at the moment because it is i mean that's always been a tricky one to track but uh I it saw has research in the uk uh they're, they're starting to gather some information so um yeah anything in australia 
So we have, so NDARC um, do uh, sentinel surveys of people who use drugs. So sentinel surveys are, you know, they're not necessarily representative surveys, but they have a group of people that regularly um, take various types of illicit substances. And they, that's how they can get things like market price and market value um, through, through these NDARC surveys. So I'd be interested in seeing that. I mean, the, the basic economics of things would make me think that the prices are going to go up. Um, but we don't know. Um, there are huge gaps in our understanding of how, um, when it comes to illicit drugs markets, how easily things can shift. So, for example, if you're heavily reliant on importation of methamphetamine product, how easily is it for organised crime, essentially, at the top end, um, to adjust from import-based supply to local production supply? You know, do they have capacity to do that? I would assume not, but I don't know. Um, and obviously this is something that the policing agencies are going to be monitoring as well um, to see the impacts of various things. Because, I mean, the general consensus from things like... Um, import seizures, for example, was that we know that that didn't have any impact on local markets, that, you know, occasionally knocking off these importers didn't actually impact the drug market so much. But this is a bit different from that. This is a bit more of a global major event hitting everything all at once. And so I would be surprised if it didn't have an effect. It, it does make me wonder if um, some of the things that have been happening uh, with with, um, with drugs over the past decade, um, if we might see some of those trends uh, emerging into a new drug market. I'm referring to uh, novel psychoactive substances, to the abundance of substances that have been replaced. But then the other thing is a lot of those factories are in China. Yeah, I, I thought about this as well, that kind of displacement thing of when you have, you have short supply of one particular drug, would you shift into some others? Um, or is it going to be one of these things that we just have more adulterated, uh, shittier drugs basically hitting the market, which actually increased risks? Um, you know, because certain drug supplies, again, this is me completely guessing here because we actually don't have any research on what's going to happen in this situation but i would imagine that say cannabis supply is not going to be impacted by this um be just because of you can people can have like grow houses and, and that's fairly easy to maintain um but yeah i'm interested in kind of methamphetamine mdma um in particular being markets that Australia has had pretty good supply um, and how that's going to be impacted. That is the voice of our maestro of vice, Jared Bartle, uh, also our lecturer at RMIT University. Um, and we speak to him about a variety of vice issues, um, talking there about the potential effects on the uh, on the drug markets from COVID-19 because, yes, it's a thing that happens as well. If you want to uh, find more from Jared, he is on Twitter. Uh, he is at Jared Bartle. That's J-A-R-R-Y-D-B-A-R-T-L-E. And if you follow us on social media, you'll be able to find all that information and more. This is in Psychedelia uh, from Isolation. If you live or work in the city of Yarra and you're interested in alcohol and other drug issues, then get along to the Yarra Drug and Health Forum events. Now online, because everything is, uh, they have a new website. The website is at ydhf.org.au and they regularly discuss local, very local issues. Uh, the next forum will be on the 4th of May and you can find out more information at ydhf.org.au. This is 3CR. Australian music needs your help. Music festivals, concerts and local gigs have been cancelled due to coronavirus. Artists, crew and music workers have lost their jobs and don't know when their next gig will happen. We're all facing the sound of silence. But you can help. Visit thesoundofsilence.com.au now. On Monday the 23rd of March, 3CR closed its doors to all presenters so that we could do our bit to help stop the spread of COVID-19. We understand that it's important for people to be able to stay at home at this time in order to reduce the number of people affected and thereby reduce the stress on our health system. Since the 3CR shutdown, programmers and volunteers have been working remotely to create new content and produce their show from home. 
will continue to bring you dynamic, up-to-date community radio during the COVID-19 crisis. So keep listening. In Psychedelia on Zoom uh, on 3CR, 855am3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. Um, we're going to be talking today about the strange new world that we live in, um, about the strange new things that might be going through your mind every time you leave your home. Um, I know that some of my friends have uh, taken to things like um, carrying around a bag of shopping at all times so that they, they've, they've been shopping. It's essential. Um, but there's a, there's a strange sort of almost paranoia um, because our situation has flipped entirely from uh, a country where you were free to move about um, pretty much as you as you wish as you desire as long as you're gonna you know pay uh, for the mode of transport that you're using um, and you're not taking fruit over the border you can move about but now you can't even leave your house unless it's for something essential uh, a, a project has been set up to track some of the uh, policing that is going on at the moment because um, the rapid change of the rules and also the uh, the room for interpretation and discretion has meant that there's been some strange things going on in Victoria. So we have uh, on the Zoom line uh, Jennifer Keane McCann, who is a lawyer and an academic, volunteering with the Melbourne activist uh, with Melbourne activist legal support, MALS, and Michelle Sabto, solicitor and academic, also volunteering with uh, Melbourne activist legal support. Uh, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. So I suppose um, we'll get started on just can tell us about uh, covidpolicing.org.au. Uh, uh, it's a website that's been pulled together. There's a bit of a, uh, a coalition of forces. Tell us uh, how, did, how did this come together and what's it for? Nice. So um, covidpolicing.org.au is, um, as, you, as you rightly said, Nick, is a collaborative project and it's run by a number of um, legal and human rights advocacy organizations and uh, backed up by a number of police, uh, policing academics. Um, some of the partner organizations include Amnesty International, the Police Accountability Project out of Kensington, uh, Bloomington and Kensington uh, Community Legal Center, Liberty Victoria, um, and Community Legal Centers Australia. Um, and it's a, a website where people can report securely if they've had interactions with uh, police where they feel that they've been treated unfairly. Um, people are able to report anonymously. Um, it goes into um, our encrypted server. Um, the idea is to correlate these responses and be able to look for trends and, and monitor potential abuses of of the policing of these um, restrictions, and it came about. Michelle, both uh, Michelle and I are um, volunteers uh, as a part of Melbourne Active Legal Support MALS, um, and uh, MALS itself is an all-volunteer organization. And um, colleagues of ours thought at this time, normally uh, the work that we would be doing is fielding legal observer teams at protests um, and providing um, support to activists to keep open a um, space for uh, political speech. Um, we can't do that very often right now um, with social distancing in place. And so um, our colleagues were thinking about a way to still be able to support um, the communities we normally support um, uh, in a way that, that doesn't require us all to be together. Um, and so uh, from our, from Miles' standpoint, that's where um, the covidpolicing.org.au came about as a way to continue to be in a um, accountability space, in a monitoring space, um, and be able to, to support to support the activist communities that we otherwise would be. Um, Michelle, um, would you like to No, that, that sounds, yep, that sounds um, right to me, yep. 
Uh, the other uh, face that has joined us is our Ash Blackwell, co-host uh, of Psychedelia as well. Uh, Ash, if you have any questions, jump in. Um, but uh, So you've been collecting um, reports and you've been publishing some uh, information about those reports in the weekly roundups of which the second one uh, just became available. Uh, covidpolicing.org.au is the website. Now, I imagine you're getting all kinds of uh, reports as well. Perhaps some a little bit frivolous where you're like, well, you probably were doing the wrong thing. And uh, other ones uh, that might be a bit shocking where you kind of go, wow, okay, that's um, that's stepped out. Can you tell us a, a few of the stories you've heard so far? I actually think for the most part, and Michelle, you can, you can correct me. I think for the most part, what we've been getting has been um, reports of people doing, thinking that they were doing the right thing under the stay-at-home directions. Um, and being approached by um, members of the police uh, and, and being asked to move on or being somewhat interrogated in the spot about why they were out. Um, so we actually, I, I don't know that we've had many, if any, um, kind of frivolous uh, reporting. And, assumption there. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, and you know what, that's fair. That's fair. And you, I mean, I guess it's a fair assumption to think that um, sometimes people think that they're being treated unfairly and, and they're, maybe they're not. Um, and you know what, that's fine. If you want to come and vent, that's fine. But uh, for the most part, as far as I know, what we've received is um, folks thinking that they're, they're doing the right thing. Michelle, is that the case for when you've been monitoring the inbox? Yeah, I do. Um, I haven't been responsible for writing any of those reports, but I keep an eye on what's coming in. And I think that's a fair assessment. Everyone, you know, we don't have anyone who's submitted a report that says, well, I was doing the wrong thing and I wish I hadn't been stopped. You know, everybody really is just yeah. saying, look, I, either I was unsure or I was clearly doing the right thing and I'm not sure why I was stopped. And um, are these complaints that are coming through, are they related to fines or just other interactions with police? What's the kind of breakdown with that? They're both, they're all sorts. So people that have simply been stopped and, and questioned by police. Um, some people have been issued with a fine. Um, and I think one of the things that's really interesting, and Jen and I were talking about this before we came on, was... Um, it's not just when someone's finds that it may be of concern if, if, if um, what's happened is that the police have um, perhaps overstepped uh, the, the boundary, but it's also how people feel, you know, people that may have not had many interactions with the police before and how does that interaction leave them feeling? And, and often it's, it's quite anxious or distressed and that's adding to an already fairly... Um, you know, psychologically fraught situation that we're all in. Yeah. Is there, is there a bit of a, um, uh, a tenuous balance at play here? Uh, because policing relies on community support um, in order to do their job. And if people start to not quite understand how how they're even doing their job and and start to that mistrust builds does that does that affect how how effective justice can take place um i think i think it definitely is a rule of law issue part of the thing that that um we would expect in a society a democratic society uh ruled by uh, laws is that those laws are transparent and they're knowable um, and uh, society is able to know what what is the rule and what isn't <laughs> what would be against the rule um, I think the directions as they're written are and and as they're being enforced are also um, a problem they're not just a problem for people trying to follow the rules I think they're probably also a problem for the police trying to enforce them um, the directions themselves are, are fairly vague and there's very little, if any, oversight um, into the way that the decisions are being made to enforce. Uh, and we, we've seen that when uh, the Victorian commissioner has come out and um, said, you know, we're worried about these things. Or we've seen where um, cases where people have been fined or threatened with fines, uh, that rolls back. 
um, there's there's a lot of uncertainty about what constitutes, say, essentials or exercise, and that uncertainty means that it is to the discretion of the individual police officer um, that is making that decision at that moment. Um, that makes it really difficult, uh, both for the officer and, and for the person who is being approached. Um, but it also concerningly means that people who might already be hyper visible to um, policing, people who are often in public spaces, people who can only be in public spaces, perhaps because they're homeless. Um, uh, we, as we've seen by the reporting, um, collating the data from New South Wales Police that um, Osman Faruqi did in the uh, Saturday paper this past week, um, uh, areas that are poorer, that um, have a, a higher number of uh, migrants or Aboriginal Australians are places where already hyper-visible to the police are also places that in New South Wales are receiving those fines. And so where there is a lot of discretion, there's also the potential for, there's a potential for people not to know what it means to be following the rules. Um, but there's also potential for the people who are already highly visible to the police for other circumstances um, are then the people who bear the brunt of the enforcement of these fines. Do we know much yet about the prevalence of whether that's happening in Victoria? Like I've heard some sort of anecdotal reports, but is there any data available or have you guys been collecting any kind of consistent stories about whether that that kind of version of targeted policing against vulnerable communities who already might be targeted is is happening in the response at the moment? We know that um, the New South Wales Police have just started, I think, releasing, or perhaps they've been, they are releasing geographical data. So, um, and uh, I think uh, Osman Farid, the journalist that Jen was talking about, I think he was on the drum last night and he was talking about their analysis of that kind of data. But in Victoria, it seems that as, as of last night, we're still only getting raw numbers we're not getting information about where um, where those fines are being issued. One of the things that we uh, uh, have been focusing on this show uh, during the pandemic specials, I suppose, is, uh, is trying to find information about what uh, is happening specifically for uh, the various uh, drug markets and then those effects on the people that use those drugs, um, but also uh, how people are being policed, uh, This is, uh, especially for certain um, parts of the uh, drug-using communities, a very wide variety of drugs out there. Um, yeah. uh, they they, they are some of those marginalised groups and we've heard stories uh, from uh, like, for example, the uh, medically supervised injecting room in um, North Richmond. Uh, there have been uh, stories online, uh, lots of complaints about uh, people uh, not maintaining uh, physical distancing uh, around there. Um, so this uh, it's already a, a touchy issue down there, um, but we've heard that police are not sort of policing it in the same way. Um, do we know how... Um, drug users in particular are, are uh, affected, especially uh, the more marginalized groups? I don't, and that's a, that's a fabulous um, a point to make and something that I, I would love to know more about. I think um, there are a couple of things. Um, we can only uh, analyze the reports that we get in from COVID police and from covidpolicing.org.au. Um, uh, and so it really relies on people telling us the circumstances that they're in. Um, but the other way uh, to look at things is some of these matters uh, where people have been fined are, are already coming up in court and a number of community legal centers um, are addressing um, as we move, as we continue in this period of, of the isolation um, and emergency measures are, are addressing more and more um, people who are coming in that need assistance with fines. But I don't know the numbers um, or 
anecdotally anything um, specific about uh, folks who would be um, in, say, in, in that in, position in the injecting room. In terms of the um, uh, reports that you are collecting, are you um, are, are you sort of pulling data out of that to, to track trends or is that not really possible at the moment? I don't really think that the number of... We've, it's only been going two weeks, this site, and so, um, you know, how, how relevant getting data from two weeks' worth of reporting would be, I'm not sure, and the numbers are not... Also, the numbers coming in are not high enough really to run any meaningful um, analysis on it. I think we do, it is important for this policing to be transparent, particularly given the, um, the breadth of discretion given to the police. And so I do think it is important for when the data is released, for as much data as possible to be released so that... Um, this process of scrutiny, which is a healthy democratic process, can continue and we can investigate those that policing in a meaningful way. Does um, the covidpolicing.org.au site have advice for people on if they are stopped or is, is there somewhere that people should go to, to kind of understand better how they can speak to police if they are out and about and as you say most of these people are taking this seriously and trying to comply but may nevertheless have an interaction with police particularly from communities that might not normally interact with police yeah um yeah what should they do yeah sure um so i know that so the covidpolicing.org.au um just has a list of um organizations, uh, pro bono organizations, community legal centers who are able to provide assistance after the interaction has happened. Um, uh, Melbourne Activist Legal Support, if folks Google that, um, we have some Know Your Rights um, information. Um, Victoria Legal Aid has an excellent uh, fact sheet online um, about what it means to be stopped and um, uh, what to do in that interaction. So it'd be really important for, um, I mean, it's really important for all of us to have a quick look and um, think about what what our rights are in that, that uh, interaction. Um, so any community legal center, your local community legal center um, will be able to provide information um, and check the Victoria Legal Aid website and as well as our um, Melbourne Access Legal Support. We'll make sure to post all of those links on our social media as well. Great. So don't forget to follow us uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, also, uh, the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, where you can get the podcast. This is in Psychedelia and it is 3CR. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet. 3CR.org.au. In Psychedelia, my name is Nick and uh, you'll hear the rest of that interview uh, with covidpolicing.org.au with Jen and Michelle uh, from covidpolicing.org.au on next week's show. Uh, we have been just uh, stocking up the content lately and I want to uh, get back to our conversation with Jared Bartle uh, to hear a little bit more about uh, two important issues that happened over the past uh, couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll, go, we'll go to that in just a tick. Before I get there, though, I nearly forgot something that um, is about the first time in five years that I've forgotten this and um, not done something for it. Both 420 and Bicycle Day were over the weekend, uh, Bicycle Day uh, being the uh, anniversary of the uh, intentional uh, discovery of uh, the psychoactive effects of LSD-25 by Albert Hoffman. Uh, the story is notorious among uh, the psychedelic community and you can find it by just pretty much typing in Bicycle Day, you'll have to find it. Um, and the other day, 420, April 20th, uh, usually a day where we're out uh, at Flagstaff Gardens, at Treasury Gardens or somewhere around Melbourne uh, with uh, Melbourne's cannabis community, uh, not even protesting, um, but asserting 
our right to be a community. Um, and we will be catching up with uh, Matt Riley, who has been integral in organ- organising those over the past decade. Um, but, yeah, uh, no, no 420. I know there were some uh, celebrations online. Organisations like MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association uh, for Psychedelic Studies, have been running uh, online seminars and things like that. Uh, the Australian Psychedelic Society as well. Do follow them on Facebook and subscribe to their newsletter. Uh, heaps of things coming out of there, especially the uh, uh, the Sydney chapter at the moment um, and lots of videos going up on their YouTube channel as well. And while we're on YouTube, uh, EGA YouTube channel uh, at youtube.com forward slash NTOTV, uh, there will be some exciting announcements soon uh, in regards to a... Uh, potential replacement for the Garden States event which was going to be on um, just a couple of weeks but cannot go ahead any longer. Back to our conversation with Jared Bartle, our maestro of vice and I wanted to uh, ask him about two things that happened over the past couple of weeks that might have uh, skipped your news cycle and that is the IBAC report into the uh, Hez and Hyenas incident which I'll let uh, Jared talk about now. This has been kind of a long time coming. It was uh, middle of last year. I'm thinking off the top of my head that this this event actually occurred. Um, the sequence of events was basically that uh, the police were following up from a break and enter and they received some degree of intelligence that uh, the person that they were after was of, I think the, the way they described it was of Lebanese appearance or something like that. Um, and they came along Johnson Street um, and noticed the, the victim in this situation, I'm describing as a victim, uh, going into the Hares and Hyenas um, uh, shop because uh, he lived above it. They raided it. People didn't know what was going on and grabbed him and yet quite seriously injured his arm. So uh, lots of community outrage about this because it did indicate that there was both the racial profiling and potentially, you know, because of Hares and Hyenas, being a very well-known LGBT bookstore that was concerned that there was maybe a homophobic motivation behind this. Um, IBAC um, has looked into it uh, and, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, and the also biggest thing is because he had a serious injury, excessive force was also a, a thing at issue that needed to be looked at. IBAC looked into it and they've come up with some fairly controversial findings here. Um, they, they found that the police were not motivated by um, sexuality or, or race-based grounds in uh, conducting the raid and undertaking the arrest. Um, and they also found that excessive force wasn't used. They said that it was reasonable force use, even though this has caused quite a severe injury the person involved. Um, They did though find um, that aspects of the Victorian Human Rights Charter weren't followed in terms of um, adequately communicating with the victim in this case about that they were under arrest, the reason they were under arrest and at the time in which they had stopped being under arrest. So these are key parts of our Human Rights Charter that were not followed and that's been referred to the police for a response. I'm not very confident that there's going to be a response to that. And it was—it's been interesting to see the 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 reactions to this. People in a kind of quite naturally shocked that officers can raid somebody's home uh, based on flimsy, you know, justifications. Go in there and. Uh, conduct an arrest in which someone get, gets a, a serious injury. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised by some of the findings, to be honest. Um, even though, you know, IBAC, IBAC has been good in the past, and so I don't necessarily want to, to say that this is some sort of inherent issue with IBAC. I think there are inherent issues with um, the level of violence that we say legally is acceptable for police to um, do whilst whilst undertaking an arrest, um, the, the, the kind of legal standard for that, that reasonable force standard, is broad enough that they can do things that result in quite serious injuries, but that is still legally okay. Um, uh, unfortunately, that's just kind of how it is. Um, and I suppose this case to me is, is a good lesson on why it's not just a matter of saying we want police to act better. Um, 
even when they're doing everything technically legally correct, people can still get seriously injured. And so I'm far more in favor of a process of decriminalizing as much conduct as possible so that the police don't have the powers to interact in this area and restraining their powers as much as possible so that we don't find ourselves in this situation where someone can get quite seriously injured and there's no kind of recourse. Do you know, is there uh, any other pathway for the for the um, person that was uh, injured? Like, can they try and sue the police or take it higher or anything like that? Or is that is that it? I mean, I mean, civil civil suits are always an option in these areas. Um, I imagine it would be tricky um, when you have an IBAC finding saying that um, that there was no wrongdoing to try and mount some sort of negligence lawsuit okay. although you know i was a criminal lawyer not a civil lawyer they might have better ideas they can put that out uh and the other thing the other thing that we heard about this week um so uh tanya day uh was a uh, aboriginal woman who uh was arrested uh on a train that i think was in uh, bendigo um and she was thrown in a cell and her treatment led to her death uh, it has been with the coroner, and the coroner handed down their report uh, this week. Have you had a had a read? Tanya Day um, was an Aboriginal woman. Um, an Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, uh, we have a terrible legacy in Australia of ongoing deaths in custody um, amongst Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, and so this is another uh, situation where the coronial inquiry, for some people, had a bit of a mixed bag in terms of the findings in the coronial inquiry. Um, so the, the sequence of events was uh, Ms. Day was, was found asleep on the train, as she said, um, uh, intoxicated, um, wasn't bothering anyone on the train. The person in charge of the the conductor, I guess, um, in charge of the, the transport uh, called the police. Police came in, um, decided, because this was a rural, rural area, that there was no other place that they could take her to, took her to the cells. Um, she was meant to be monitored in the cells and uh, ended up, um, what they believe occurred is that she ended up falling from her bed on the ground um, and suffered a head injury. And as a result of that, she she died. Um, and the, the monitoring at the time was meant to be done under the police codes. It was meant to be that she was meant to be, um, you know, monitored in person, um, given verbal um Accused to so to see that you know if somebody's intoxicated in a cell, the police are meant to be checking that this person is not getting worse. That they don't indicate that they they need medical support. Much of the monitoring was being done in these cells via CCTV uh, and not in person. Um, and so the conduct of police in this area that they seem to be treating her quite poorly, and she resulted in her death led to a scrutiny and led to the um, coronial inquiry. In terms of the coronial inquiry, um, when I say it was a mixed bag, for some, pe for some people, um, some of the findings that, um, that the coroner found that the police were not motivated by racial prejudice or racial bias in their treatment of Tanya Day, um, that the, the coroner the coroner found that and people found that quite controversial they did find that the behavior of the um member of um uh, tra the transport company in calling the police that that was motivated by a racial bias interestingly there was a number of key findings that the the stereotype that the police were using in their treatment of Tanya Day and the reason they were not treating her with dignity was because that they were they were treating her like a typical drunk um, and that was very interesting to me in terms of the coronial uh, inquiry in that the coroner was very keen to point out the fact that there was stereotyping on the basis of somebody being intoxicated um, and that that led to a general lack of care and, and lack of respect of, of her dignity, which ultimately had played a role in her death. And of course, the key, um, the key element to come out of this coronial inquiry is that uh, the matter has been referred to the Office of Public Prosecution um, potentially to see whether or not there has been some criminal negligence on behalf of police. 
there was um the uh, in the uh, coronial inquest there was uh discussion of a uh, another heavily intoxicated uh, woman who was at uh, at a hotel on the same night who was not an indigenous woman uh who yeah. they drove home so uh is she not a typical drunk even though she was heavy do you have to is it is it based on the color of your skin this this is what's caused a lot of controversy in the the coronial findings um because there was clear evidence that a non-Indigenous woman was treated with a degree of respect um, and being able to find alternative accommodation for her, uh, but not Tanya Day. Um, The coroner justified that, I guess, to some extent because of the level of inebriation of the other woman, um, saying that she was more easily dealt with via these alternative measures as opposed to Tanya Day, um, which who required more intensive isolation. Again, this is quite a controversial part of that finding, and lots of people are heavily, heavily critical of that that reasoning. Yeah, it's it's hard when um you know I've been spending the past eight eight to ten years uh, uh, going to music festivals and looking after heavily intoxicated people, and it's just it's uh, there's some fairly basic rules to follow, and you can all do it at home if you're somebody who likes to uh, be intoxicated or your friends do. Or I mean, if you're in isolation, then be careful, as we were talking about before. But uh, you know, just keeping an eye on people is a fairly basic thing, and um, making sure they don't hit their head or throw up in their mouth. Uh, these are easy things to do. It's not well, it, people alive. Some of the some of the statements made by police um, were fairly indicative of how they they thought about intoxicated people when they talked about the fact that well, on the CCTV footage, you could clearly see that she was lying on the ground, um, and their response to that was, well, in our experience, drunks like to lie on the ground when they're in the cells. Okay. Uh, again, this 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 stereotyping on the basis of substance user or someone who might have a problematic relationship with alcohol um, was uh, interesting because it's, it's it's a pattern of policing behavior that we all kind of know happens. Um, but I, I guess it's I struggled to be labeled sufficiently. Um, and I found that quite interesting that the coroner was willing to say, no, you're, you're, you're using this, 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 um, cognitive framing in your mind to say she's a drunk she's drunk throw her in there she'll be fine um rather than treating them um treating her like a person uh if you want to know more uh, about the justice for tanya day campaign and about uh everything that's been going on there is a facebook page facebook.com forward slash justice for tanya day uh and also a petition uh is still live uh and that is at actionnetwork.org forward slash petitions, forward slash end Aboriginal deaths in custody with a hyphen between each word. Uh, I'll post the links uh, to those on social media as well, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, so you can go and have a look at those. Um, Do you think, uh, just finally, Jared, that um, we might actually see a change to the public drunkenness laws in the next few years, or are we all just going to be worried about uh, uh, being able to leave our property? So the good news on that is that the Andrews government has actually um, promised to change the laws in regard to public drunkenness. So um, we are likely to see a decriminalisation of public drunkenness at some point. Um, Obviously, at the moment, a lot of uh, timetables for lots of various legal proposals. I don't know when that's going to be, but it's certainly something the Andrews government is committed to. Hey, Jared, thanks for joining us today. Um, I hope you're enjoying isolated life as much as you can. <laughs> I'm enjoying it as much as I can. Thanks for having me. Npsychedelia3cr.org.au. Throughout today's show, you have been hearing some backing music from Tongbarangi Ngara. Uh, Tongbarangi Ngara Incorporated is a voluntary, not-for-profit Aboriginal organisation whose purpose is to provide an outlet for Aboriginal people of all ages to connect with one another while celebrating and expressing Aboriginal culture to the wider community through the medium of electronic dance music. 
Uh, if you want to find out more about what they do, the website is borntodance.org.au and they are doing some uh, music sets uh, from uh, quarantine. I think, uh, what are they called? Isolation sets or quarantunes? Quarantunes. Uh, and that's on Facebook, so you can uh, check that out as well if you're uh, on there and need, need some music in your life. Uh, this has been In Psychedelia. We'll be back uh, next week. Please follow us on social media for more information and get in contact with us if you have anything you want to ask or say. Thanks, uh, Queering the Area. Up next. See ya. This is In Psychedelia. In Psychedelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear In Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.